Hello everyone and welcome to the On The Record podcast presented by The Western Weekender. On this podcast I'm joined by special guests who all have such great stories to tell about Penrith and the role they've played in our city. Today my special guest is Wayne Wilmington, the owner of Vintage FM, My88 and the Target Radio Network. Wayne, thanks for joining us. Thanks Troy. Now as always we start with the question, uh, where were you born, where did you grow up? I was born in Penrith Hospital so uh, and grew up at uh, Ludnam. My family uh, are local Ludnam since about 1850 and um, went to Penrith High, the selective high school. It was very selective when I went there. <laughs> of course. So, any prospect of leaving Penrith or it's just always been in your blood? I think Penrith, this, this area is just such a great area. So, yeah, stay here. Yeah, for sure. Right, I'm going to fast forward all the way to now so people have an idea of, of what you're doing now. Um, so tell us about the radio stations. You obviously launched Vintage FM more than 10 years ago now. And yeah, back in 2009. Yeah, and, and my 88 in, uh, in 2021. Yes. Um, so tell us, um, tell us about the, the stations and, and how they came about. Well, I think if you go back, to, but let's go back a little bit, back to high school. My radio days started at uh, Penrith High School, where I set up a radio station at the high school, Two PH Penrith High School Radio, <laughs> okay. and we used to broadcast just you know through the through the uh, PA system before school lunchtime, and uh, yeah, that's how it all started. Then I was actually involved in setting up the first community radio station in in Penrith. And that was Nepean Community Radio. Nepean Community Radio. Yeah, yep. in the seventies. Yeah, back in the seventies. And so radio had obviously always been in your blood. Um, you know, you'd always had a, had a passion for that, but it didn't come, you know, as far as vintage and all of that concerned, didn't really come professionally until, yeah, a little over a decade ago. That's right. And I think, you know, I've always had had an interest in, in radio, but I, I think what happened was in, in radio that Penrith sort of lost its identity. And, of course, we did have kick for a while, but yep. after the original, like 2KA back in the, when I was growing up, like 2KA was the radio station. It was, it was Penrith. It was all about you know, everything to do with Penrith. And I think that's what we tried to do with um, with Vintage when we launched it. And now, of course, with My88, it's uh, it's another thing where, you know, it's 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 Penrith, it's local, and uh, people like to have their own local radio station. I sense uh, when I look over your bio and even when it comes to the radio stations that uh, risk is, is fine with you. You don't mind taking a risk and, and taking a chance in, in business. And we'll go through some of the um, the other points of that um, with different businesses you've launched. But um, you mentioned Kick FM, and, and we can be um, we can be open here on on, uh, on the podcast. Kick kind of went up in flames, so you had to come in. Um, or as all of that drama was unfolding, I mean, uh, was it a was it a nervous time? I mean, is it is it is it risky? Do you are you you obviously quite happy to take that risk in business? Yeah, look, it was certainly uh, it was a nervous a nervous time, and things you know unforeseen happened mm. um, at the time of uh, at the takeover. But look, I think yeah, look, you, you've got to take risk in, in in society if you want to get ahead in life. You've you've got to take those risks. And the the, the decision to to, to, for it to be Vintage FM, like where did that come from? Was that your passion for that kind of music from the 50s and 60s in particular? Because Vintage, of course, um, is exactly as it sounds. Played the music you grew up with, was the slogan, still is? I think, you know, the 60s and sixties and 70s are my, you know, is the music that I really, really like. And, of course, there was nothing, that nothing, no one was playing any of that sort of music. So it was, I, I felt there was a niche and Penrith had like a, you know, a, um, a, an older demographic, and I thought it's it's a niche that would would work for Penrith. I think we've also seen how um, 
niche radio is exactly where the industry is probably heading as well. So you're probably ahead of the game there a little bit because obviously with streaming and whatever, people have their own choices if they want to listen to, to music. But when it comes to radio, to be able to offer them something unique, I guess, is the, is the real test there. And that's it. You know, and nowadays things, you know, with Spotify and, and all these different types of things. But I think having, you know, having something you can listen to that you like, and a lot of people don't, you know, would just prefer to listen to something like vintage, especially people my age that don't want to get involved in the Spotify. They just want to listen to to great music. So that's what we provide. And I think the big difference as well is that even when it comes to the advertisers and sponsors and whatnot, same as at a local newspaper level, because they're all local and relevant to you. It's not like the ads on a, on another. Age radio station or a, a you know a tv station because they are all relevant to you the the advertisers are, are the clubs you go to or the the businesses you visit yeah your local audience so you know we say your, your money stops local so keep it local so were you surprised though we talk about penrith but you've, you've talked to me over the years about the international audience that these stations have managed to build as well because people obviously these days can find them online and say hey this is the, the music i love um we, did you anticipate that at the start or were you kind of blown away when when you noticed that starting to happen yeah I, I never really expected it i think we we started streaming and we started streaming before most other radio stations because you know our licenses are low power and they don't get the coverage the same as the big sydney metro stations mm. that we wanted people that when they travel into uh, into the city they could actually stream us online so we started streaming but back in the day we actually had to put in another three servers and it used to cost um about two thousand dollars a month right. the actual cost for streaming because we actually broke the system i suppose with our our streaming and um back in the day if you googled uh oldies music or something like that vintage fm was the only one that, that came up yeah, it was yeah. no one else was doing it and I guess you'll start to see that with my 88 as well, but um, 80s music, same kind of thing. Once again, the same sort of, you know, the, the, the numbers are, are really up there now for my 88, like 12 months in, and it's built up a, a big audience. And once again, all over the world, because we, we can actually see on, online who's listening to us uh, and where they are listening, and yeah, all over the world. One thing, and we'll go back and, and talk about some of your previous businesses, but one other thing about the radio station that you've always been passionate about is branding and, and marketing there was i mean and still the case but you couldn't go to an event without um you and the pt cruiser not being there and and live crosses and, and all of that where do you get that energy from because that that's you know apart from doing your on-air stuff and the general running of the stations um literally you could say vintage fm have done that better than anyone in penrith in terms of just being everywhere and, and now my 88 following in those footsteps I think it's important if you're a local radio station to be in the community and to be at all the events because I've seen other people in other radio stations that have tried to do things and didn't really connect with the community but I feel as a as a radio station or in fact any business you've got to connect with your customer with your listener you need to connect and and, and events you know it's the ideal opportunity to do that and it happens all the time where people come up and they talk to you and you know want to take your photo like you know the first time someone came up and said oh, can I take your photo like it's a it's sort of it's um yeah look it, it, it's a good feeling to think that that people go out of their way to come and see you yeah for sure all right, well, let's go way back um, because probably the look fairly away from radio, I guess. In um, in 1978, um, you, you became the, the bread run guy out at, uh, out at Ludnam. So tell us about that. That was your, your first business, essentially. That, that was my first bu- business. Yeah, bread vendor for um, for Fielders, Fielders Bakery, and we used to do um, sort of 
bred out to like the Lion Park and Bullens Animal World and all, a lot of those tourist type things that were there then. And that was my, uh, my first uh, induction into the business world. And so how long did you do that for? What was the, the general? About three thing? years, I think that was. Yeah. Okay, okay. And then um, you opened a business in 1981, uh, Sound Electric and Premier Video at uh, Warragamba. Yeah, so I opened a, a record, because of my love for music, I suppose, so I opened a, a record shop and an electrical shop and was the forerunner of, of video. So we actually, yeah, we're one of the first people to, to get into video and video libraries. Before there was a, you know, a lot of video libraries around, we actually started video libraries. And one of the things that we, we did, was we were the first people to have 24-hour video. So we actually mm. put videos in service stations in the 24-hour servos that were around town. We put videos uh, on the shelf there and people could come and hire videos at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and no one else had ever thought about doing yeah. that. And obviously, uh, these days we've come full circle. These no. days they don't they don't exist. They but don't. for you know, we went to the, that era through the eighties and nineties of video stores with a with a, with a king, particularly on a on a Friday uh, afternoon. And people look back on that probably through rose coloured glasses in many ways. But that's a big memory for a lot of people in their childhood. Those those stores. Yeah, look, they were, and, and it was a big part of people's lives. A lot of people, you know, rented a lot of videos. So. And what were the challenges in in those businesses? Because I'm guessing that. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a weird world, like renting out videos and and the the trust factor that comes into it. It was a as much as we look back on it, as I say, with with some good you know nostalgia and whatnot. Pretty difficult business to run, I'm guessing. Well, yeah, look, it was. We we pay on average like 120 bucks for a, a video, or if it was one of the okay. like Mad Max. I think Mad Max uh, one when it came out, uh, 150 dollars. So we were buying videos, and you had to buy like quite a few of that particular video and, and of course yeah theft was uh you know people yeah. were fraud or people would would lose them or or even that they'd wreck the tape you know they'd chew it up and you know yeah. things would <laughs> chew up the videotape so yeah different issues like that were were always a bit of a problem especially i think in the the um in in the uh service stations where they had different staff where they perhaps didn't get people's you know proper identity but yeah. at the end of the day it did work out well and of course, uh, vinyls made a comeback. Do you think VHS will be making a comeback? Will they? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Though those those stores. I mean, you think about, you know, I mean, times change. But through the nineties, you couldn't have imagined that a video easy and a Civic Video and those guys wouldn't be here in in, in ten or twenty years. You know, yeah. they were they were almost a license to print money at, at one stage. They were. Yeah. They were. They were a good business. Absolutely. Yeah, and of course. Um, we saw a lot of a lot of them in, in Penrith, but you were in the, the one out there, um, the service stations, as you say, but Warragamba. So when did you leave that sector and, and why? Did you did you move on for any particular reason? Um, I think, look, I, I sort of I, I rode the wave of, of video and, and being at Warragamba, we sold literally hundreds of, um, of video machines. I think I was Akai's biggest um, individual um, seller of, of video machines. So we sold so many video machines and unlike you know we weren't a, a yeah. bingley or, or someone but as just as, as a as a guy we were their biggest customer we used to sell so many different you know video machines so yeah and i i think it was just time you know time to move on i remember um 
a family friend of ours who used to hire the videos and then he'd, he'd had this massive setup that he was then able to obviously record them over to a blank video. And I mean, the, the efforts people went to, and we talk about piracy now, but the efforts people went to was almost like okay because you were going to such such an enormous effort. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Uh, to, to do it all. Um, now let's talk about your, your time at um, Caltex Depot because that was in, in 2003 and yet again, um, and I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but yet again you became really innovative in terms of things like with petrol prices and things like that. And I remember a front page of The Weekender actually when um, you, you introduced seven-day fixed fuel pricing, which we, we don't really have um, in, <laughs> at all now. But tell, tell us about that and how you got involved in that industry. That's a big switch. Well, look, it is a big switch. And after the, the record shop, I went. To, I got married and, um, and Anne, my wife, her parents had the Caltech Depot and I went to work there for a while and then um, ended up taking over the business. But then... I realised that that fuel prices were were so wrong. What the way that mm. people could, you know, they they change twenty cents a litre, you know, in in a minute, and it's the same fuel in the tank. So um, I came up with an idea actually, and I, I was one of the few people that could actually predict. I had a formula. I worked out a formula to predict what was going to happen with um, with the. the the fuel prices so it works on a sliding average with with the american dollar and 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 the crude price barrel so we actually worked the system they could use you now i think they still well, don't work that yeah well <laughs> it, it's even funny people in caltex couldn't work out uh, and i wouldn't you know i spent a lot of time working out that but then we we um yeah released seven day pricing so we did that and we because we had the caltex depot we had a fleet of tankers and we delivered uh, fuel to service stations all over Sydney. We branded, some were branded like Caltech, some were branded Ampol, and we had our own brand, which was called Total Fuel. Mm-hmm. And uh, all those guys had um, seven-day pricing. And we were the first people, I believe, in the world that actually put price boards on the internet. So people could actually look at the server, look at you know a particular servo, and go, oh, yeah, that's the, the price there. It's, you know, 70 cents a litre today. And, and, and what it meant was that it, gone was the whole oh it's tuesday cheap day or have i got to worry about what the petrol price is going to be on friday you were just a fixed price a fixed price and look it worked well and yeah it was it was it was something that that actually worked well and someone should reintroduce it now <laughs> so i imagine it had you know wins and losses i mean there would have been times when the servo across the road was more expensive but potentially cheaper as well so i guess it worked both ways yeah look it does but it's we built up a, like a loyal base because people love the that the, the thing knowing that, that that was a fixed price. Mm. So even uh, in Korean in Avenue, the BP across the road from us may have been uh, cheaper sometimes, but we'd have a queue and he wouldn't because people just loved yeah. the fact that, you know, they, they supported you. And, and Penrith people do that. They like to support those that support them. And there's nothing like uh, petrol, I think, to galvanise people in the, you know, they hate that the price has uh, gone up from what it was yesterday, but more so you drive, you know, two kilometres down the road and a 20 cents cheaper price or something like that. So well, you see that all the time now, don't you? Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's interesting how um, you were able to do that and it's not happening now. You would think that it would be something that uh, that would definitely be a, of interest out there. Yeah, I don't know that anybody else has ever done it either. It's probably something that's a little bit unique. Mm. So. Now, um, you, you did some other things in that sort of motoring world as well. Um, another first thing you did was the, the high-grade diesel, super diesel. So tell us about that in 2008 as well. Well, pollution and, you know, driving with, with trucks, and we had our own fleet of trucks and used to spend a fortune on fuel. But I, I learned that there was a you could actually do stuff with diesel to actually make it give, give you better mileage, you know, like a fuel additive. And 
I actually experimented. I joined with a with a company, and we came up with a with this additive that we could put in our our fuel that would give you uh, a lot better uh, mileage. So, you know, and that plus a lot less emissions. So, therefore, it was a a bit of a win win. So, so you were ahead of the game in the uh, the climate change well, war and the emissions war. Well, yeah, and no one <laughs> no one was sort of thinking about you yeah. know worried about that sort of stuff. So we we were actually a yeah, a leader in that and. Um, and then, of course, now the, all the the uh, oil companies have now you know intro- introduced uh, different grades of of diesel. But we were the first people to have uh, like a super diesel, yes. And so the decision then to leave Caltex was did that coincide with the vintage the vintage arrival? Was that sort of around the same the same time? Well, yeah. Look, uh, uh, what it was is because we were independent and. The oil companies like to control fuel pricing and and stuff like that. They mm. they hated they hated what we were doing. So um, and and look, we were more or less told um, by Caltex at that stage. We were called into the uh, to the boardroom yep. and said uh, we want your business. So I said, okay. and I just sort of said, oh well, yep, okay, let's uh, that you know sit down, we'll have a talk. And I go, well, it's not going to be like that. And and their words were, we control your buying price, we control your credit. Um, you'll either work with us or we'll send you broke in three months. So, so, so you had become successful from a customer viewpoint and much loved by customers, but not by the brand that sat above you. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's, that's a shame, really, isn't it? That's big business at its worst, I guess. Well, it is. And, you yeah. know, like they, they don't care. They're, they were ruthless and, and um, you know, it's just it's a shame that, that someone like a big company like that could actually do that. And, um, but, yeah, they, that, was their, that was what they said. And, mm. you know, so, you know, I actually, to me, it actually cost me a lot of money because the business was worth a lot of money. And they, you know, came in and didn't want to pay anything for goodwill, which was... Um, seriously, a lot of money worth of goodwill mm. that, that that I missed out on. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that, that you know we've, we've obviously both dealt with a lot of businesses over the years, but some of those bigger businesses still still struggle to have an understanding of Penrith and um, and the people of Penrith and how it all works. And it's because it is a very unique area in terms of business, and you have to have some some pretty big boxes ticked if you're going to work here. A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, now let's uh, just another business I want to mention because I don't know where this fits in. Dance, you were behind Dance Avenue as well, which is a which is a big name in Penrith for for a long time there. Yeah, look, it was. Um, and my daughter was dancing, and you know the, there was a bit of a you know like a lot of these dance things. It was a bit of a uh, I suppose a few people had a few objections to what was happening, and a bit of a splinter. And and I thought, oh well, someone should start up a a thing. And then yeah, at the end of the day, we thought, yeah, why don't why don't we do that because it's yeah, and and uh, yeah, Dance Avenue was born. So I sense with these businesses though that you you've entered them not necessarily with experience in these industries. Obviously, um, the the bread run I presume is pretty limited. Video is pretty limited. Dancing comes out of nowhere. So, what is it that makes you go? Well, I can still take that on even if I don't know the industry inside out when I when I first jump in. Look, I think it's about the gut. You know, and a lot of people talk about the gut or the heart. You know, you you sort of if you think there's a need, like and, and seriously, Dance Avenue. What we did with Dance Avenue was sort of we we took dance schools that were in you know little um, uh, industrial units that weren't air conditioned and all that, and we we set up like a. Uh, building proper dance floors, fully air conditioned, soundproof rooms, and and just went to the to, to do something. You know, if you if you're going to do something, you should do it properly. So I think that's yeah. But just the idea of of, of going out there and and knowing yourself that you can do it, yeah, and, and it will work. 
and I guess um, sometimes sometimes the outside viewpoint is the best one because it's um, it's not diluted by um, what might have you know what the, the the loyalties to the industries Industry. or yep. all of that sort of stuff. So mm. that can help as well. Um, of all these businesses, and they obviously still involve very much in the in the radio side, but. Is there any of them you miss in particular? Is there any of them that you look back on and go, well, gee, I, I loved that time um, of my life. I wish I had it back. Um, look, probably, certainly all of it. I think the fuel industry was probably the worst and the hard. We had like 50 staff at one stage mm. and we had fuel tankers that were running 24 hours a day. That was probably the worst. But I think at the end of the day, radio, like radio has always been my passion. Yeah. And I love radio and I think that the... The radio side would probably be the be the one there, but but they're all sort of um, you know thinking we we set up Penrith Gas Shop was another business yes, that we yes, that we uh, that we set up and um, you know something a bit different in Penrith and and it, it's sort of um, gone success, successfully as well. One thing that's been pretty obvious through all of your working life is that you've been very community focused as well. So it hasn't been just I want to run the business, but you've got yourself on. All sorts of committees and chamber for a while there, and, and all of these different things. So how important was that side of it to you, and and why did you dedicate that? Because that takes a lot of time and effort. It's good in theory, but when you've actually got to do it, it's tough. Yeah, look, I think my family, my uh, both my parents were involved in in different you know organisations, and I started doing stuff, and and I think you know I like to be able to make a difference where you know each day I could actually you know help somebody and, and do some stuff so that's why i think that i actually got involved with the um you know different community groups and and look it was it was nothing uh, unusual for me to, to go from one meeting to another meeting of a night so it's um yeah it was just you know get out there and do the stuff so and this is particularly obvious in ludnam which is obviously an area that you you love you're saying that you've you've you know been there forever what about the dramatic change there of course in in recent times but you're one of the the residents there that have gone full circle because you initially, when the the airports getting talked about, I think you were even in the anti airport brigade. Yeah, I started the anti Badridge Creek yeah. anti airport group. I was the, the secretary. <laughs> now you're a big supporter. So can you run us through that? Um, because obviously, these days, obviously you can see the benefits. You can, and, and that's it's an amazing project out there. But I guess back back then, back when it was first when you first started that um, that group, it was it was a, a shock and a, a, something that people didn't want in the community there. Yeah, hundred percent. So back in the eighties, when when it was sort of yeah, and it actually looked at wiping Ludnam off the map completely in, mm. in the original plans, and um, yeah, we didn't want our our little village disturbed. So certainly, I was against it. My my mind changed, or my view changed the day that the federal government bought their first block of land. So I I knew then that the airport was was going to come. So you couldn't stop it. You had to. Um, sort of join it as, as much to say and that's why I've actually been involved with with all the, the the airport you know the planning around the airport to try and get the best outcomes for the um, for the local residents and how do you feel that the the sentiment is there now uh, now that construction's underway obviously a lot of people have moved out um, you know as, as land got acquired and whatnot but that Ludnam community now how do they how do they feel now well, I think they're they're very much waiting for the for the final uh, draft of the the, the plans of mm-hmm. the Aerotropolis because Ludnam will be the um, like I suppose the the Penrith capital. You've got Bradfield on the the uh, the Camden side, but you'll have Ludnam, which will be a city centre. And look, it's gonna it's gonna change you know dr- dramatically over the next few years. But um, yeah, just waiting for the final zoning. And like most people, we just want to know the future, what the future mm. is going to be out there. Because it's not too far away when you, when you start to think about twenty twenty five and twenty twenty six. Like 
it's only four or five years away and they'll be they'll be planes taking off well i've been i'm sort of lucky because i'm there and with my involvement i actually get to go like i was on the airport side a week ago and i'm, I'm sort of been right down where the terminals are being built and actually get to go around the site where people you know are not allowed to go and to see the work that's actually happened there mm. it's just unbelievable and that's had a big you know thing a big improvement for penrith as well because obviously as a result of of an airport being built you know not too far away we've seen significant road upgrades and hospital upgrades and um penrith you know and you've worked here for a long time and lived here for a long time is in this difficult period i think where there are people who just want to hang on to the old penrith and and then there's the the ones who embrace it and those in the middle so it's a a tough little period i guess for, for penrith at the moment yeah look it is but you know change look change is probably always good um Sometimes, you know, we, we, we may not think it's for the better, but as I say to people now, like, Ludnam is going to be, like, a unique spot. And now you look back, and if it hadn't have been the airport, we would have become another Gladwell Park. Hmm. So it's, you know, Ludnam is, will become something special and, and something different now. So, and, and I think the government's done a fairly good job in, in community liaison as well in terms of... Uh, you mentioned back in the 80s, it was like, no, let's just wipe this away and, you know, that'll be it. But these days, I guess things are done with a bit more <laughs> consultation and a and a bit more of a proactive approach. They Look, they do both the, the airport and, and what's happening with all the zoning. They, they are listening to, to the locals, which is, and, and, you know, I'm sort of, I suppose, a, mouth, a mouthpiece and, and get to talk to everyone from um, from ministers on, on, you know, state and federal mm. about it and, and to get the, the right outcome. So, but they are listening and they are taking you know some of the advice from 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 the locals yeah which is which is obviously really important and it's uh, it's great that they're doing that um charity work as well has been big in, in your life and through vintage and whatnot you were able to launch music for life which is a a fantastic initiative can you just tell us a little bit about that and um and obviously you've got a, a personal connection with with that charity in particular um in regards to charlie teo and um and brain cancer yeah well and wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for charlie teo so um you know and and wanted to do something i suppose she let me have the radio station and yeah. she, she said oh look you know i want to do something to raise some money so um we started music for life and and you know we've raised just on uh, half a million dollars for brain cancer research so um from the Penrith from the Penrith area, which is absolutely great, and obviously a, a difficult time um, with the ends battle. But as you say, um, a remarkable result when at times it didn't look it would like it would um, it result that way. Yeah, no. So, but Penrith people, you know, seriously, Penrith people always uh, are always there and always happy to help. And what about that music for life and and even the stations and the businesses during the pandemic? Because that's been disruptive for everybody. Um, how have you come through it and um, and the, all of the things you're involved in? Yeah, look, certainly it's it's been really hard, and and uh, like yeah, for music for life, you know, two years now where we haven't been able to uh, have our ball, and 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 in the radio business, yeah, it COVID has has you know really hit mm. us uh, hard with all our advertising. We've lost eighty five percent of our uh, our revenue, which makes it hard. But the the costs are still there. You still you're still running the business mm. as 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 normal. So yeah, it's been a bit hard. And that's the the thing for for businesses i think that people sometimes don't think of that you know the customers you know you're here trying to put out the the radio station but you're only here for the revenue that's driven by advertisers and if they're pulling out then you know yeah what have you got that's exactly right yeah. so makes it hard so so what does the uh, the future hold as far as um do you want to be doing radio for another 10 years do you want to sit up on the beach somewhere will you always be in penrith what's what's um, the future hold? yeah look i think look um i'm always going to be part of penrith I love the Gold Coast as well. Okay. Um, so the Gold Coast is a is a is a lovely spot, and um, 
Yeah, but look, I'm, I'm always going to be, you know, entrenched in, in, in Penrith and that Ludnam area. I, I need to, um, you know, just, yeah, I, I, I couldn't move away. Mm. You know, I could I could do some, you know, extended trips and stuff like that. But, yeah, I, I, I don't see me sort of leaving the area. Are you a retirement person? Are you someone who says, no. oh, you know, I'm, no, I'm done? I'm, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. And what about politics? As uh, obviously you've been involved in, you know, the airport groups and whatnot, um, council, state, federal politics. Do you see yourself doing any of that? I've actually been. Um, oh, I've had lots of discussions about. Well, certainly council. Mm. I've actually been asked by lots of people and, and um, to to run for for council. Uh, I was actually even asked at one stage to uh, stand for in a federal uh, seat okay. um, by someone very high in, but because I wasn't a member of the political party, okay, right? Um, and that look, I, I suppose back in my early day, I did I, back when I was young, I did have some sort of um, political sort of ideas, but really, uh, it's it's not it's not for me. I. I as people say, I can actually do more now because I can talk to any any of the political mm. members, any of the councillors, and I can actually talk to them now. I don't have any any allegiance to any of them, and um, I can go to them if I see a problem and say, you know, so and so, you know, we need to fix this. So you can, it's it's interesting that you can actually probably get more done outside of, uh, of I, politics and, and the and influence I, you've managed to build over I, many years. Yeah, I believe so. It's it's like now that. Um, you know, with, there's a few issues that are happening with the airport and uh, early next, uh, uh, later on this year, we'll be sort of meeting with Paul Fletcher, the minister, mm-hmm. um, you know, where he's going to meet with me to, to discuss stuff. So, you know what I mean? I can actually still do all that sort of stuff by not being in politics. Yep, absolutely. And I think you've done really well as well in terms of um, both sides of politics. Of You're quite open to talking to both sides of politics and they're quite open to talking to you, which is a good thing. And otherwise, if you... You know, if you, if yeah, if you if you if you if I joined a political party yeah. and, and then took a side, well, you know, may, maybe they would. But yeah, certainly I've uh, you know lots of friends in in all political parties. So, and where to for the radio stations? What can we expect to see from them this year and um, in the years to come? Look, I, I think um, you know now that that my eighty eight is sort of, certainly the, the hero for Penrith. I think you know that'll become more and more that, and and vintage is more you know now. I suppose the the Macarthur type area but mm-hmm. it's it's still got a lot of potential and you know certainly we're going to be pushing a lot more online as well yep. so um the online is i suppose down the track will be the the future of radio i, I think that online is just you know because you'll obviously see more 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 and more cars that are that are wi-fi connected and internet connected and um and you won't need to worry about the the aerial yeah, on the car and all that sort yeah, of stuff no, and that's that's where that's where it's heading so yeah so. Yeah, excellent. All right, well, Wayne, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. It's a it's a remarkable story. Um, you know, you've done. I mean, we didn't even get to a lot of the things. You were in the bushfire brigade out there. Yeah, at spent a lot well. of time with that in the, in the uh, RFS. Yeah. Well, what about as a final question? Is there anything you still want to do? Is there anything that you in business or community that um, you haven't done yet that you go that's still on the bucket list? Um, I had not nothing that sort of um, jumps out. I have said before because I actually did get the junior citizen of the year and the Penrith citizen of yes, the year. Yes, of course, you've got, um, the, got the double. And uh, I, I thought, well, maybe if I keep doing some some good in the community, I might get the senior citizen <laughs> of the year. <laughs> I don't know if anyone would have had the trifecta. In, well, uh, I don't believe anyone's had the double yet. <laughs> well, so, there you go. Um, so yeah, that'd be uh, get the get the three of them. Well, and it's a, it's a great story, and um, uh, I think you're the. 
you'd have to be Ludnam's best known resident. I think there's no doubt about that over over the many years, and um, and of course uh, doing some great things in business over many decades in uh, in Penrith. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Troy. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Wayne. A reminder that On The Record is released every Monday. Just search Western Weekender wherever you listen to podcasts and hit the subscribe button. On The Record is produced by the Western Weekender and recorded at the studios of Vintage FM and My 88. Check out westernweekender.com.au. We'll see you next time.